Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Out of Grief Comes Art, the Grief Dialogues podcast that we do each Wednesday. I'm Elizabeth Copeland, founder and chief playwright for Grief Dialogues. And I'm Hallie Williams, marketing director of Grief Dialogues. And I'm with my partner. Oh, we didn't hear you, Hallie. <laughs> Sorry, we've got a little bit of a delay today. We are all on cameras. Um, I'm Hallie Williams. As you guys know, you guys know me. Great, thank you. And today we are talking with Hank Greenspan. Hank is a playwright, and, and Hallie will give a little more background on Hank in a minute. But before we jump into that, Hallie, who is sponsoring our show today? All right. This podcast has been made possible in part by funding from Humanities Washington and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Humanities Washington opens minds and bridges divides by creating spaces to explore different perspectives. Thanks for believing in our project and supporting us today. All right, Elizabeth. Yes, yes, thank you. Tell me how you know Hank. Yes. Well, and Hank, Hank and I go way back. Dramatist Guild International or Glamis Guild Institute started doing mm. online playwriting classes, oh. gosh, six or so years ago, quite a while, long before COVID, mm. and, and introduced us to the wonderful world of Zoom. Up to that point, you had to pretty much live in the New York or at least tri-state area to take advantage of the wonderful classes the Dramatist Guild had for oh, playwrights. Man. And so they were early adapter to, mm. to doing online learning. And so uh, Hank and I, don't, I think our very first class was with mm. the incomparable Gary Garrison. And then we found as the years went on and COVID came along and mm. more online classes that mm. we were often in the same playwriting classes together. At, with Dramatist Guild, which I just love. And so I've heard a lot of, Hank, I've heard a lot of your work, which is always interesting and very historical and so forth. So um, nice to see you again, my friend. Nice I should ask you, did you sign up with for the for the fall classes yet? Yeah, I have not. I didn't know they were open already. Uh, yeah, well, they just, well, yeah, are you a member? Are you getting your certificate? No, no, so they're probably uh, not open yet for me. Anyway, I will check right. them out for sure. Oh, good. No. Oh, good. I am getting my certificate, and I did take James Tyler's class again. I think no. this is my third or fourth time. Again. I, I hope no. to see you at an upcoming class. So Probably. anyway, Probably. Hallie, what would you like to know oh, about I, the grand world of playwriting or I, whatever? Else. I or have, whatever. Gosh, wow. This is like two iconic playwrights, and I get, I get okay. 101. Well, okay, first of Can all. Can I take a step back? I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt, but I just want to say because, you know, I just want to be honest. I feel like I'm a real newbie in playwriting. You know, I'm a psychologist oh. and an oral history guy by real training. And it was only other than a few skits I wrote in, you know, elementary school. It's really only been in the last, oh, 10 years with the exception of one piece that I've really considered myself in the world of playwriting. So it's relatively, um, as I said, a new thing in my whatever activities since I've been retired from um, my academic role, my formal academic role, oh. um, I've done much more of it um, in the last few years. But um, anyway, just to sort of contextualize that a little bit, because I, I love the title or whatever, but I feel, I have to feel it's, it's a little bit like a new pair of shoes. I'm not oh. sure I'm quite well, in it. <laughs> the shoes yeah. look good on you. Um, <laughs> let me, I have, I have a little statement here. Um, 
from Hank and then also just a little bit about what he does. He did just give away a little bit and said his uh, academic <laughs> career. So um, Hank is a psychologist, oral historian, and playwright at the University of Michigan whose work has focused on survivors of genocide. My plays have been produced for radio on NPR and at more than 300 stage venues worldwide, he says. Most of his dramatic work emerges from over 50 years of extended interviewing, teaching about, and writing about in essays and academic context, as well as plays, the Holocaust and other genocide survivors. His plays are both trajectories of complementary monologues in which he represents different people who know and that he knows and multiple character plays usually two to three people the most important thing to him is the discussion that follows after the performance and i just want to say interject real quick and say same with us at grief dialogues one of the most important things for us after our stuff is the talk back and the discussion so that's yeah. partly why mm-hmm. hank that model yeah. we're, we're buddies in that sense um Absolutely. he oh and then he he goes on to say this is not a talk back but a talk with dang it he won up this um to <laughs> yeah. me deepening sh- is what i really yeah. 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 To, to him deepening the discussion in is real time is the point of most of what he does as an artist and a teacher um so hank obviously we learned how you and elizabeth are friends so i can go ahead and skip that icebreaker question but i am interested for you to share your grief story with our listeners um because our listeners do know they're they're logging on to hear about somebody who's gone through grief and has done something with that grief so can you give us a little bit yeah i'm gonna if i may i'll sort of of respond on a personal level and then in a broader level I mean, personally, um, I would say my life, like many lives, has been punctuated. Well, whose life isn't punctuated by loss? Um, Really, everyone in my immediate family is gone. Um, Two sisters, both parents, and it's been some time that that's true. Um, One sister in particular, whom I know you know I wrote about, Mm -hmm. um, was really especially close. Um, In my family, which was, like many families, a little... Uh, the Yiddish word is mishigas, a little crazy. So it was very helpful to have someone to share reality. And even though my sister went through many challenges psychologically, um, mm. when it came to reminding ourselves of what was real and what wasn't, what was true and what wasn't, we relied on each other. There's no one who I knew as well as Carol and no one who knew me as well uh, so that was that just hit me um, like nothing else has. I think I mean, all my family members. It was also, of course, unexpected. But I didn't say that, but it was out of the blue. I got a phone call. She was in her fifties. Uh, she had gone through, as I said, some struggles in life. Mm-hmm. But you know, you—it's not something I expected. And suddenly, you're on the phone, and someone says your sister died. Yeah. Um, she was in Boston at that time. I was where I am in Michigan. Um, and you know, I don't know if this is a story. I guess what it comes down to is, is one, um, you know, it's immediately you're stunned. Um, most immediately you you sort of take a breath. (laughs) Most immediately you're in a, some other world, which you stay in many of us, I think for a while. I certainly did. Mm -hmm. You know, it's real, but you also sort of go through the motions. You step into whatever kind of needs to be done and both my family otherwise was either gone or I had one other sibs 
it was really up to my wife and myself to to deal, to quote, make arrangements, as they say. And we yeah. did that, and we walked through it almost like uh, in space. Um, and it, it's taken, well, it took years. Um, mm. And I, I think, and this I believe is true about grief in general, you know, of course it changes, and we talk about integrating, and we talk about working through, and all of that, mm. and healing. It's These are all relative terms, and I think that's fine. You know, I think we, in my personal view, uh, even I say this as a psychologist, I think we overrate healing as a notion. I think it's fine to go through life with open wounds and with not just scars, but actually some bleeds. You know, my work as a therapist, people would come in having gone through losses, and I'd say they would sometimes feel rushed. Shouldn't I be over it? Maybe I'd be a year later, two years later, and I would say, what's the rush? this is life this is what it is to be human it's a sign of having a real relationship that you feel as you feel and yeah. that it mattered um so wow i, I suggest no, go ahead oh i wow i personally really needed to hear that today i wasn't expecting that to, not that i was expecting anything out of your mouth but um Wow, I've, you know, as everyone does, we've got things all going on in our personal lives. And in my personal yeah. life, I have some wounded people, and yeah. including myself, I just lost my father. And, um, but I recently, in conversations with people in my very close circle, um, it was said by someone, hey, that's where you're at today. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, what, to speak to what you just said, you know, like with grief, I, it's okay to just be like hands up, like this is where I'm at today. Absolutely. Uh, like there's Absolutely. no rush. What's the rush? This is where I'm at, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. wow. I mean, oh, okay, guys, yeah. I have like lump in my throat. Anyways, keep going. Ah. <laughs> keep going. You know, I, you know, I don't remember the author, sadly, but I, somewhere over on the other side of the room, there's a book I got recently called Embracing Helplessness which sounds like, oh my God, that's the last thing you want to embrace, right? Mm. But the notion, even though I haven't really read it, just, just a little bit, is that helplessness on some level is, again, part of who we are. Mm. You know, we, there's so much in life that we don't control, can't control. And then, of course, there is what we can. And also, and so I don't mean just, you know, give up. But I mean to accept as they say in the Irish prayer, right? To accept what we can't control is so hard for many of us anyway, um, but useful because it's, I think, can build compassion for each other because we're in all in that boat together. Um, yeah. If I'm, I'll just continue, I was gonna say in please, general too, please do. we are obviously, obviously at a historical moment, a cultural moment, mm. maybe there've been many, but we are, I almost said drowning, so I'll say it, in loss at this particular cultural historical moment in oh. this country and beyond this country. We are. Whether we think of it as, I mean, we've lost over a million people to COVID. For some yes. of us, that means people we've lost personally. Yeah. I think it's different. And for many of us, we, it isn't personal in that sense. It's just this sort of mountain. Yeah. Which I think in a way, understandably, we are aware of on some level kind of on the horizon out there mm -hmm. but but we i don't think we know how to engage it i don't think there's any memorial at least at this point that will 
suffice. And I also don't think grief has much to do with memorials in that grand sense anyway. Grief is very personal, very particular in my view. So what that suggests to me mm -hmm. is that a lot of grieving doesn't happen and can't happen because the scale of loss is beyond the capacity the scope of the is so large process. yeah so you know as someone did say in a recent play of mine mm -hmm. maybe we can grieve our inability to grieve and <gasps> oh. remember our forgetting um which also matters that we know what we in a way what we can't do again it has to do with a certain helplessness so that was just COVID. In the meantime, we all know what's happening in this country politically, and not only in this country, we know the environment. In the world. All the catastrophic things, and I'm sorry to be the downer, but I am. <laughs> Some of my friends know, call me the uh, Prince of Darkness, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I'll just pause and say, someone said, so Hank, do you think the glass is half full or half empty? I said, what, it's wet? So, anyway, uh, yeah, so I, 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 I lean to the rim in some respects, but I, I don't know. I, I think from there one rediscovers the power that you have and the engagement that you have in the schmooze, which is mm -hmm. the dialogue, which is, to me, short of whatever one's uh, religious beliefs, is the saving grace. Right. The capacity mm -hmm. to share, the capacity to talk about whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Wow, yes. So I'm, I wanted to ask you, too, is there one of the things I vividly remember when when uh, parts of your work were read, you read it in class or whatever, is the authenticity of your characters and their struggles. So um, is that uh, some of your own life experiences, some of you, the stories you've heard? I mean, how do you, your characters are so rich and complex, it's almost impossible. Just the characters I heard that you could have all those lives. So what's your, your secret knowledge? <laughs> secret sauce. <laughs> secret yeah, I, I don't, you know, all I'll say is that um, to the extent I'm able to do that, I try to do that, I guess. There's no technique involved, I don't think. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I deeply believe in the complexity of all of our lives. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm deeply allergic, I will say, mm -hmm. to that which oversimplifies. Uh, even oh. though to get along in the world, we have to oversimplify, yes? Yep, you right. know, yeah. We go through the checkout line, mm -hmm. how are you? Fine, we all, and we all make fun yeah. of that, fine, fine, fine. If you right. say, well, right. you really wanna know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one really, right. well, maybe someone no. wants to know. <laughs> but if you don't, then you'd never get out of the little store if you did that. Right. So we have to right. use these little uh, abbreviations. But in fact, um, how we are is so layered and, and multiple at any given time, um, that to the extent one can represent that, um, and this is also where the schmooze comes in, where the discussion comes in. I don't, whatever integration may mean within oneself, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think it's a question, mm -hmm. if there's integration at all, it happens, in my view, between people. Or, another way I've said it, is what we may be able to do is integrate the lack of integration. I know I have these little sayings, but um, that we can accept just as we accept a relative uh, helplessness in some circumstances, mm -hmm. we can acknowledge 
and accept, not in the sense of celebrate, but at least acknowledge that, um, look, we live in a, in a broken world, probably that's always been a broken world, and certainly is now. Um, but that doesn't, so not being alone in it, <laughs> right. it makes a huge difference, obviously, and sharing um, our situation. Mm-hmm. Now, right, right. You, you just said sharing your situation at the end there. And I know from researching you that you've worked with some Holocaust survivors. And my first thought, my first, you know, first reaction is like, oh, my, my heart just immediately aches. And then I think about you and I think about how do you... That is a lot of grief to listen to, you know, and I worry about I'm a worrier, um, but I worry about you and I worry about besides the fact that you have your own grief, you are constantly in conversation with grief. You kind of dance with grief. How this this poses a question to me um, on behalf of our listeners who may not be in the direct line of grief, but maybe have somebody very close to them who is grieving. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about support for those who are grieving and also protection and support to yourself for support, like the caretaker, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do you support yeah. the caretaker? Yeah. I mean, a couple of things. Yeah. In the context of the Holocaust or any genocide, the survivors are the good news. Right, they're the mm-hmm. ones who are still here. Mm-hmm. The vast majority were not survivors. Right. But that means, of course, mm-hmm. that yes, the survivors are those who experience the loss, who knew the world that was and the folks who were um, in their world, in their lives. For the people whom I've known, it's quite various. Again, it's complicated. Um, for some, grief is the overwhelming Theme. And it's um, it happens. The very first survivor I interviewed at length was someone who was um, consumed by grief. And you know, I'm a psychologist. I had worked with none of this was therapy, but I worked with a lot of people um, who are depressed. I'd never felt from someone else quite the depth of something of of the absence of missing of a world, as he said. Uh, of a lost world as I did with him. So what do you do? Uh, Again, it's the conversation. It's Mm. the dialogue. It's the discussion that is what one, I mean, I I have no, nothing beyond that other than you bring yourself as a psychologist. I guess I was, this was not therapy, but I was trained not to try to solve things um, Mm. or in general, give advice. I just tried to be there, you know, which is a cliche, but we know it when it's there and and to let it happen and to let him reflect as he did and remember as he did. I learned a lot from him and he knew it, not only about loss, but about the world that was. Um, You know, I don't speak Yiddish. In many ways, I wish I did. But all kinds of, because he framed his experiences in terms of um, Yiddish expression, Yiddish literature, Biblical references, things I didn't know, uh, things in Judaism I didn't know, although it's my background too. Um, so he was my teacher. He wasn't just someone, quote, just whom I was there to 
help in any way. We helped each other. We taught each other. We learned together. And my approach with survivors in general um, was not what we're used to. It wasn't the single two or three hour testimony on a video. Um, It's partly because I got lucky. I started early, so there was no such model. So we did it. We winged it. (laughs) And this was as much the survivors as me. They said, come back next week, Hank, we'll talk some more. Okay, we'll talk some more. Okay. So this could go on weeks, months, in some cases years, in some cases decades with the same people. So I mean, by then you know people obviously well. And um, in all aspects, you know, you said dance with grief and I flashed immediately to one of my beloved survivors who's no longer with us, who was a great dancer and loved dancing. She and her husband, both survivors. Survivors, again, have really complicated, multi-layered, multi-leveled lives. And again, it's that complexity. There's joy, most cases. There's ongoing life. There's, in a way, ongoing death. There's rebirth. There's what's gone forever. And I always thought of survivors as as kind of jugglers. You know, they, a little of this, a little of that. And I don't even, it's again, it's not, quote, integrated. It's all there. And I think right. we'd do better just to acknowledge and accept that juggling multiple things and multiple versions. And Aggie, who I just referred to, the survivor, would say things like, um, you know, I'm here and I'm also there. When I'm there, I'm also here. Mm. One thought leads to the next mm. and into the past. And so this is complex very complex interweave between what's happening in the moment, what happened then in memory, and many things she didn't remember, which is also part of surviving for many. Um, It's too much to remember, just kind of like in a a different sense, as we were saying about the catastrophes in which we're living. You can't relate to all of it emotionally, at least. You You know it's there, but if you responded emotionally, and certainly in a situation like genocide, you didn't last. I mean, no, no. So you had to learn to know strategically, not that it was so strategic. Right? You know, none of us, I don't think, are that good at saying, okay, now I'm going to pull the emotional yeah. <laughs> You Just do it. And um, sorry for that ring, but I'm going to ignore it. Um, yeah. You just do it. She happened to have that quality, which many survivors of I've known. Uh, you whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what that is, but I'm going to. Life's um, intrusions. Yeah. Um, they're able to do that sort of dance right. uh, with their own experiences right. um, and somehow get through. So I learned a lot, I will say. Uh, and now, were you able to take these, well, I'm sure you were able to take these conversations and put them into your playwrights, like your, I'm sorry, your playwrights, yeah. excuse me, your plays. Yeah, I mean, the, the piece I mentioned, the one piece that has been sort of with me for a long time, is now 30 years old, um, is a mm. piece called Remnants, which is based on these extended conversations. And, and it's not, again, testimony, at least I don't think of it that way. Right. It's these times when knowing people well, they just kind of nailed something. They found it in, in an image or a, <clears throat> sometimes just a cadence of voice, something that just right. natural poetry that just sort of drops you to the floor. and. Resonates. um, I felt compelled um, to try to recreate those moments. I I think of them almost like beads on a string. That piece has a trajectory of seven monologues for women, three men. Um, 
They're all very different in, in style, but each one, in my view, and I think in theirs at the time, sort of got this the heart of something about living through and after um, such hell. Um, so that's what I, that's the goal of that piece. And uh, that's the one, if I'm a playwright, that's, <laughs> that's been the, by far the, the most central piece in my, in my work, um, at least in recent years. Most central, but was it, was it, um, this is such like a novice question. I feel so self-conscious talking to you two professionals, but like, was that the hardest piece to write? Like, I mean, no, I no, mean, no, but because it wasn't only because yeah, it was because I did it over a long time. I do everything oh. over a long time. I'm oh. a slow learner. Slow and steady <laughs> wins I'm the a race. Slow worker. I don't right. write. I, I write in verse, and I, I, you know, this is part of the process. Maybe always in creative yeah. work, but for me at least. I let things bubble up. I, I go through a zillion, not only drafts, I use a lot of audio recording, so I will Me improv too. something I'm working on and I'll just speak it, like whether it's a scene or a monologue, I'll go back or I won't go back, mm. but I'll write it in my head mm. multiple times and then it gets to a page and then I'll go back and back and back and back. I tend to, I'm a minimalist in style. I, I like things that are spare. Um, and so a lot of the revising has to do with taking things out um, yeah. so that what's left is, is what matters <laughs> in my right. obviously biased view. Um, but I don't like fluff, in, certainly in this kind of writing. And, and this is a topic, obviously, where like the last thing you want to do is, is go over the top, either as a writer or an actor. Uh, like the Holocaust doesn't need over the top. It yeah. does fine all by it itself. Speaks right? Words. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so less is more, as the cliche goes, certainly in this topic, and I think in many topics. Yeah. Elizabeth, do you, find, do you find similar in when you're writing about, I mean, Elizabeth writes a lot about loss. Um, what, what about you, Elizabeth? Well, um, the, creative, the creative process, I think each one of us comes at a different right. angle. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, putting together uh, even a, 90 minute play takes years, years to, to refine and put in front of an audience and get feedback from the audience and then refine it some more and, and so forth. It's, uh, uh, it's not an easy task, but I do think as a playwright, mm. it's our, it's our uh, obligation to our audience mm. to make the dialogue and the discussion as authentic as possible and not as long-winded as it might be if you were sitting around a room in a living room having that same discussion. You gotta get uh -huh. to the point, you know? Um, because otherwise you lose, you lose your audience. You know, they, they, want, they come to hear the meat of whatever it is you're having to offer. So, and you want, one of my things as a playwright, one of my, my happiest moments is after a performance, when someone comes up to me and says, wow, I had a similar experience oh. and I thought I was the only one that went through that. And that I find really rewarding. So that sound makes, makes my job as a playwright is to take something that might've been very, very personal to me, but to also make it universal so that other people can see their own situations in it. So that that's the challenge and as well as the, you know, important part of being a playwright myself. Um, Wow. We're the uh, we're the only people. Well, not the, I can film film people 
to it. One of the things that I heard recently from uh, playwright uh, Emma Golden, Golden, Emma Goldman Sherman is, you know, we're one of the few professions who get to put our dead people on the stage, you know, we, we get to right. resurrect dead people and, and have yeah. conversations with them. Yeah. So, uh, so I think it's very important. Yeah. I do like, and one of the things Hank, that really strikes me in your work is the work, the stories you tell that have, um, multi-generational trauma attached I mean, yeah that the children the grandchildren of the holocaust survivors and in some cases the great-grandchildren there there's something there whether they experienced it whether grandma told them about her time in the concentration camp or not they, you know i know people who whose family in fact i have one friend who didn't even know she was jewish until she was like 50, you know, because her family would not talk wow, about that time. Really? But, but she really, a lot of the, the um, mental issues that she had turned out to be from multi-generational trauma. So, I, and I know in your plays, you often address those themes anyway. Well, I'm not thinking of it quite that way. I will say, I mean, I, I have to be a little careful. Um, I, um, the notion of multi-generational, intergenerational trauma is very popular these days. And, you know, I think about knowing survivors as well as I have and knowing their kids and now also their grandkids. I mean, they are as diverse a group as any group, as any of us. So while it is true, as it is for all of us, that who our parents were and grandparents were, has subtle ways of impacting. And I think, I fear, this is again my allergy <clears throat> to certain kinds of concepts. <laughs> that, um, how that works out is so complicated and multi-layered that I think um, an, an attribution is very complicated too. To say that I, experience this or that as a result of whatever is, and I see here I'm speaking now as a psychologist, is is just really, really um, challenging to get right. Um, and oh, of course, yeah. we may think we experience X, Y, or Z as a result of B, A, B, and C, and be wrong. I mean, That's who knows? Right. It's always, again, a kind of a juggle. So... Um, I mean, I'll pipe yeah. in. I'll pipe in as a. Mm, yeah. I don't think I'm a millennial, but you know, as a young, as a super young person, uh, I, I'm currently feeling like the world is so sensitive, um, and you can't. You got to be careful with what you say and how you say it, and you know, it's it's um, very, yeah. and it's very Ooh. tricky for. I but I'm. I'll speak on behalf of my husband and I as a unit. We found that like. There is a fine line where we, on one hand, we are like, well, this came from our lineage and this is trauma from, you know, the lineage that we've come from. And then on the other hand, we're like, yeah, but here we are as adults and we're doing it. And I would like to point a lot of blame to the people behind me or above me or, you know, in the tree. But oh, yeah. also I needed, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that that was, I don't know if it was really all Ooh. trauma. Like maybe... Yeah. You take some personal I mean, responsibility. Yeah, right, right. Like maybe this is a personality trait, or I mean, right. But like, and it gets really sticky 
and complicated. Right. And it's like this big ball of yarn in front of you, and you're like, not it. I don't want to untangle yeah. that. I just would rather. I, just... I love, yeah, yarn and big balls and messy. And we're like, let's buying. just go to Michael's and buy a new pack of yarn. I can't do it. It's it's but messy. You know, again, I think it's the schmooze, the, the dialogue is the what schmooze. matters here. I think mm -hmm. of, and again, I'm thinking just survivors, let alone kids and grandkids. Right, right. Uh, Augie, again, I always mention Augie because she was like my mom. You know? yeah. She was my mom, my mm -hmm. sister, my heart person. And, oh, and I love that. would say to me early on, um, when I was a lot younger than I am now, I had hair, who knows? Um, <laughs> and she said, you know, I was my own psychologist, wow. buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, she wow. said to me. And, and she would reflect on some aspect of her thinking, feeling, and say, can I attribute that to that year that I was in Auschwitz or, right. or what? And, and it was, she thought all the time about what led to what in her own life, in her own reflections about her life, and, and was right. open, not just open, but interested in the complexity of all of that. And this is a survivor. I mean, this is someone who was there directly. Right. So if that's true, and I believe it is for a particular survivor, then how much more true is it likely to be? Uh-oh, a little bit of delay here. Uh-oh, folks, it looks like we've got a frozen screen. It might be my connection or it might be the Zoom connection going to pause real quick and see if we can get this figured out hey guys we're back we just had a little zoom delay and you all know what i'm talking about because you've all been on zoom for the past two years so here we are back <laughs> elizabeth was just talking about um i'm gonna have her restart her sentence about holocaust survivors well, how does, well i'm uh, sorry what i was really talking about was uh, covid I mean, i'm sorry excuse me covid, COVID survivors, survivors. COVID survivors, excuse yeah, me. COVID survivors. So sorry. I feel like we're all COVID survivors right now. Well, and I do think that the, uh, and not that it's over either, but yeah. um, I mean, I did lose, I lost two people close to me early on yeah. uh, of COVID. Um, and I just lost someone very, very dear to me who had COVID twice, who ended up having a heart attack. And, um, you know, how much of that was related to the, the um, you know, the weakening of the heart for COVID. Yeah. From COVID. So there's there's so you add the generational issue in there. I think we're all gonna be faced with a lot of grief that needs to be portrayed on the stage so that people can relate to yes. them. Yes. Indeed. Yes. I mean we're swimming oh. in it. I mean Yeah, yeah exactly. Maybe again always true on some level. Obviously mortality is uh, all of us aren't going to make it out alive, as they say, right? Please. Right, none of us, actually, right? <laughs> well, that's universal. Um, right, um, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, the play that I'm working on mainly now that's most important to me is not about survivors, actually, but oh. it's about a guy who... Well, I was going to ask you what you're working on. Yeah, it's about a guy in the ghetto, a real guy mm -hmm. named Rubenstein. We don't know his first name, but he was known as the mad jester of the ghetto. Okay. And yes. my play, you remember him from maybe Gary's Court. I um, was going to say, I know this yeah, one. Yeah. Oh, she's so excited, guys. Then, I would say. <laughs> it was good. He's grown it was up good. since then. But he, uh, he was a guy who was 
like the town fool. I mean, so he could get away with saying stuff and doing stuff that nobody else could, even to right. the Germans. Um, but in my play anyway, because we all create the Rubenstein we need, you know, which was part of his oh. stick. He inspired mm -hmm. people to imagine who the heck he was. Mm -hmm. Is that he was convinced that effectively no one would survive. So the question becomes, what does an artist do when, when you're faced with that kind of the world closing in? And what can you do? What do you do? I mean, you could give mm -hmm. up, you could commit suicide, you could jump off or whatever, you could uh, numb out. He doesn't. Mm -hmm. He not only embraces it, but sort of almost goes out of his way. I mean, one of the, the opening of one scene is, are you dead? Of course you're dead. I will say cottage for you. And he goes on, yada, da, da, da. I mean, so he's in, always in people's faces, not to be morbid, almost the opposite, mm -hmm. but to say, we're in this together, and mm -hmm. the living and the dead are in this together. We are the same, effectively. No, we're breathing, they're not. But we're the same as human beings. And so that's the solidarity that's possible. And mm -hmm. so in many ways, it's, it's not an anti-survivor play, but it's a sort of push against what I do think is a cultural thing as well, mm -hmm. which is survivor, survivor, survivor. We're, and, you know, I was mm -hmm. before, we're sort of obsessed with survivors. And I, there's obviously right. good reasons for that. Right. But I think, right. again... Well, it's motivating, right? To be yeah. around survivors. <laughs> right. <laughs> to keep going. Um, yeah. Um, but in this world, ultimately, none of us are survivors. Well, and I'm talking true, about under true. normal mortality, you know, context. In extreme context, right. even more obviously. So how do you deal with that? Um, yeah. And, you know, um, that's and that was what I was going to ask you. <laughs> But, but anyway, so this piece is about how he tries to deal with it and how he tries to engage others. And his antagonist in the piece is sort of the ultimate mm -hmm. survivalist. He's a guy who was actually a, also a real person who was mm -hmm. corrupt, um, but who thought that by collaborating with the Gestapo, a Jewish guy, uh, they had a chance of at least saving some number. So the two of them are sort of going at it. There's a duel mm -hmm. uh, between them throughout this piece, mm -hmm. and which is, again, my sort of working through or trying to sorting out the relative claims of surviving, which I think has a big claim. And on the other hand, coming to honest terms with the limits goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the limits of ourselves, our lives, our control, and, and the uh, catastrophes that we're in right now in this world. Right. Right. Well, you just so said let that. me ask you, Hank, why, um, I mean, I know you're also a writer and, and all that, but why plays? Why, why put forth these concepts through theater? Yeah. Um, you know, of course, as you'll know, I mean, these are things you, it's not like you decide one day, you know, yeah, something tells right. you. And as a kid, even though I said I wasn't really a playwright until fairly recently, you know, I was one of these kids who, you'd forget to report on, you know, the moon, and I would write the encyclopedia article about the moon, and you know, I just sort of paraphrased the world book. And then I would write a little skit about two dudes on the moon, you know? <laughs> I was just sort of compelled to like make the story. I don't know why, but... I think, funny, that is really funny. I think now I've got, it's, it's like putting people in motion and, you know, in three dimensions or whatever mm -hmm. dimensions we, we mm -hmm. have, it's just a different, and to me, often a richer way of engaging. It's one thing to say something, 
And it's another thing to show it, as we all say, to show it in action. And you discover that you learn things as your characters, right? We all, you don't know where they're necessarily going to go. I mean, this Rubenstein guy gets to places that I don't agree with him. I said, you're my character, man. You can't do that. (laughs) Go back to what I, you know, you you know, we have a problem, my friend. And so you try to incorporate that. If you end up learning, then you let yourself ideally do that. And then you... um, incorporate it if it seems worthy and of interest and of relevance to others um so it's again it's just a conversation um right. writing is itself a conversation mm-hmm. um yeah but it's a sort of weird compulsion it's a, mm-hmm. it play of course is play yes and right. that's right. the subtitle right. of this rubenstein piece is mm-hmm. death slash as in you know like a hyphens play so it's death on one side and it's play on the other and and play is what he did i mean that was partly his answer to the surrounding doom so where where can we see this play ah well in my imagination (laughs) no we have coming there was a 20 minute version that was actually produced self-produced it was done in a festival i can send you a link Please do, so I can oh, share it with our listeners. Yes. Really, it's it's now one scene of a longer piece. Uh, oh, wow. It's sort of changed some, but well, it's one sure. scene. Oh, my goodness. And, um, That's what art does. Uh, it evolves. It, I was yes. very lucky. I found a, a friend of mine who was an improv teacher of mine who was a fantastic actor, and he plays this It's perfect person to do it, this guy, Rubenstein. Um He's not doesn't have that background, you know, but he just found this character and you know, yeah. this is something we haven't talked about. Actors. Man, the right actors can like that's amazing and the, I know you the collaboration. Right. Of, I mean that's my favorite, favorite, favorite thing along with the schmooze afterward. Right. Is right. actors and others involved to sort of put mm-hmm. it together. That's like mm-hmm. euphoric. Truly right. euphoric. Right. And I mean, I guess that's part of how we survive <laughs> as yes. well and uh having it those is. kind of creative collaborative amazing things wow. to happen yeah well collaboration that's the key word this yep. has been just amazing thank you so mm-hmm. much for joining us on our show we could talk to you for yeah. hours and i could pick your brain for yeah. hours on these thank you topics. thank you yes Feel thank free. you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Right, yeah. enjoy yeah. the shows of course yeah. Well, you guys, you can you you can reach Hank online on his website at www.henrygreenspan.com. Um, you can also follow him on Facebook, and we will make sure to link absolutely everything in the post when we um, publish this episode. I'm so grateful to have you. I'm so grateful, Elizabeth, that you have such cool friends. Um, <laughs> I, I am too. I yeah. Have, um, yeah, I am just thrilled. <laughs> Very lucky. So. Wow. Um, yes. So, uh, thank you, Hank and thank you. and Hallie. And um, Hallie, you want to wrap it up? Thank you, guys. This is another episode of Out of Grief Comes Art by Grief Dialogues. We are your hosts, Hallie Williams and Elizabeth Copeland. Today we had Hank Greenspan, and we are just so grateful for his presence. We hope you have a lovely Wednesday, and please, please, please do something artsy and share it with us online. Oh. Have a great evening. Thank you.